Good morning. Today I'm, we're going to start a new series I'm calling Postures of the Kingdom. We're going to take a look at a very familiar passage, um, at least to most of us, I believe. It's at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, it's a passage known as the Beatitudes. We're going to be, for the next few weeks, going through this and looking at what our postures are to be, our heart attitudes um, are to be as uh, um, citizens in the kingdom of God. Uh, so uh, I want to start just by reading through the entire passage, and then we'll start looking at it a little bit at a time. Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. As we look at this, I want to start, before we actually get into the different aspects there, I want to start by looking at the word blessed, because it's such a prominent word in these verses. Uh, some of your translations will use the word happy uh, instead of blessed, but that really doesn't do it justice, um, doesn't carry enough weight for the meaning of the verse, or of the word. Uh, the NLT says, God blesses those who. Uh, the Passion Translation says, what wealth is offered to you when, dot, dot, dot. And I, I don't think those really capture the meaning either. Uh, most English translations just settle with the uh, translation, blessed. Uh, I like N.T. Wright uh, in his Kingdom New Testament. He translates it as blessings on those. But I want to look at the really what is the meaning behind that word blessed because it's, there, there's, it's much richer and there's, it's more complex. Uh, there's much more to it than what our English translations are able to translate. Uh, here's the idea behind it. According to the lexicon in the back of the Hebrew-Greek Key Study Bible. It says this, Biblically, one is pronounced blessed or blessed when God is present and involved in his life. The hand of God is at work directing all his affairs for a divine purpose. And thus, in a sense, such person lives before the face of God. And then it goes on to say this, Blessedness is sharing in the life of God being favorably affected and influenced by God, which involves, among other things, participating in the kingdom. And then it lists several, uh, several ways, several 
aspects of participating in the kingdom. This is what it says. It lists recompense, which means to make amends for loss or harm suffered. So recompense, forgiveness, freedom of conscience, the second coming, the Holy Spirit, heavenly rest, moral and spiritual purity. All of that is part of participating in the kingdom of God. And that's when, when we fully participate in the kingdom of God like that, that's when we become fully satisfied in life. So when Jesus said, blessed are those who, he's saying those who do these things or those who live in this way, who live this lifestyle, are showing that God is actively working in and through their lives and with his favor. So I want you to keep that in mind as we begin to go through these. Blessed are, number one, the poor in spirit. That's in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's look at the word poor in spirit. One theologian translates this as those who feel their spiritual need. Those who feel their spiritual need. This is the person who is totally reliant on God because they know that without him, they have nothing. And that's the thing that each one of us needs to come to a realization of. Without Christ, every one of us is spiritually bankrupt. It's our relationship with him that gives our lives purpose, gives our lives significance, and give our lives meaning. It's the person who knows that without Christ, they have none of this. That without him, they are spiritually bankrupt. It's that person who inherits everything. The kingdom of God is theirs. While they have nothing in themselves, they have everything in the kingdom of God. Those who readily accept and submit to God's rule and reign are the ones who can fully enjoy the blessings of such. But you know, when we treat God like he's an add-on in our lives and, you know, we think, ah, we're doing okay on our own or, or yeah, I need God's help once in a while, just a little bit, um, uh, now and then, then we're not walking in the fullness of the blessing of the kingdom. We're missing out on it. We're not walking in the blessings of his rule because we're not fully walking under his rule. We're calling our own shots. We're not living under God's kingdom rule. We're living under the rule of our own kingdom. We're not living under the king, all that the kingdom has to offer because we think we have something better to offer. Bottom line is this. We need Jesus, and without him, we have nothing, nothing. When we recognize that, that's when God can come and work in us and work through us unhindered. In him, we have everything. God is working in our lives, and we're finding full satisfaction. Second, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. In the parallel passage in Luke 6.21, the word, we see the word weep. Blessed are those who weep. Those who, who mourn, those who weep. Whereas 
verse 3 just before this was talking about those who have come to the realization that they have nothing without God. They're, they're totally spiritually bankrupt without him. This verse is talking about those who are broken over sin, both their individual sin and corporate sin. We typically think of this verse as talking about grief when we suffer loss in our lives. And certainly God comes to us and he comforts us in those times of grief and in those times of sorrow. But this is primarily referring to our mourning over sin. The Jews own sin as well as the sin of their nation. That's what it's primarily referring to here. Mourning over the individual sin of the people and the sin of the nation. And as I thought about it, I thought, you know, our nation is in such turmoil right now. It's being torn apart by the sin of our past and the sin of our present. And it's time to lament. It's time to grieve. It's time to weep over what's happening. It's time to pray and to seek God. It's time to mourn for the sin of, over the sin of racism that is so embedded in our culture. In fact, it's so much a part of our culture that we totally miss it sometimes because it just seems the norm, so we don't recognize it. It's time to look at our own hearts and ask God, Lord, examine my heart. Is there any offensive way in me? We need to study our history. And we need to take responsibility for the sins of the past. And we also need to take responsibility for the sins of the present. That's what we see uh, the Israelites doing in the books of Nehemiah and the book of Daniel. The people of Israel confessed their sins of, of the sins of their ancestors. We as believers need to mourn for our own sins, confess our own sins and the sins of our nation. We need to mourn and repent for the racism and the prejudice that's tearing this country apart. And the two are not the same. You know, I grew up oblivious to the problem of racism. I grew up in an all-white neighborhood, went to an all-white school. My first exposure to any kind of re racism that I recall was when I moved from New York back to Indianapolis after my sophomore year of high school and therefore went to a new high school. Um, and that, that I, 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 I saw racism uh, um, blatant right in front of me in that school. And, you know, then after that, I thought, you know, began to think, well, racism is mostly a thing of the past. The civil rights movement was over. Laws were passed. Problems solved. You know, maybe a little bit of a problem here or there. But we're pretty much past that part of our nation's history. I mean, it certainly wasn't anything I had a part of because I detested it. You know, I thought it was evil. I thought it was despicable. I thought it was in the past. And certainly, I didn't have a racist bone in my body. Over the years, I started having discussions with friends who were, who were persons of color. Friends about uh, having started having discussions with them about racism and how embedded in our culture that it is. And then I began to do some research, and I've learned a lot over the last several years. I've read books, I've listened to podcasts, I've talked to people, uh, attended workshops and, 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 and conferences. And something happened 
during that time. I found myself talking less and defending myself less and listening more as I began to read more and more and take in more and more of our history. I was honestly shocked and I did not like what I discovered. It's become clear to me just how deeply embedded in our culture racism is. It was so embedded that I couldn't see what was right in front of me. Our nation is in trouble. And if I just look at other people, then I'm a part of the problem. If I just think it's somebody else's problem and not mine, then I'm a part of the problem. If I'm always making excuses or justifying wrong behavior, then I'm a part of the problem. If everything is always some other person's fault or some other group's fault, then I'm a part of the problem. If I'm not examining my own heart and asking the Holy Spirit to search my heart for anything in me that is offensive to him, then I'm a part of the problem. But if, instead of denying, ignoring, justifying, or blaming, as citizens of our nation, if we take ownership of the sins of our nation and confess the sins of our land and turn from them, we can be a part of the solution. God will come and comfort us and heal this nation. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Isaiah 61.3, speaking of the Messiah, says this. To all who mourn in Israel, in other words, God's people, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. It's not necessarily something we like to hear that the problem isn't just out there, but the problem is here and with us. But we need to hear it. And I want to challenge you, if you're thinking, this isn't me, I'm not saying that it is. I'm just saying, go to the Father and ask him. Ask him to show you, to help you to learn. Ask him to show you if there is any way in which you've been complicit in the sin of racism. Can we pray for our country right now? Father, we pray for our nation. We're being torn apart by hatred and violence. Lord, as citizens of this country, we repent of the sin of racism. We repent of the history of repeated abuse of people of color.
black people, Native Americans, Asians, so many. Lord, we repent of that. We repent of the sin of prejudice. We repent of any time that we've looked at another person and judged them or considered ourselves for some reason, for whatever reason, better than them. We repent of that. Lord, examine our hearts. And if there's anything in us that is not pleasing to you, then show us so that we can repent of it and leave it behind. Jesus, heal our hearts and heal our land. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. As we get ready to share in the Lord's Supper, share in communion, um, I first want to read these words from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He gives some instructions to the church, and he says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself, and that's why so many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Um, I wanted to read that because we need to realize that communion, the Lord's Supper, is something that is not to be taken lightly, but taken seriously. Um, So whenever we approach communion, we should first of all, examine ourselves and let the Lord examine us. And if there's anything that uh, we need to do business with God about, then it's time to do it and not put it off. So uh, we're going to go ahead and, and take communion now. We've just had a, a, a prayer of repentance and examination. So um, I think we've covered that. Um, if, if you haven't, then I would encourage you to do that. But Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, and he said, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take the cup together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for... Um, the cross. We thank you that you loved us enough uh, that you went to the cross and gave yourself up. You became sin 
so that we could be forgiven. Our hearts are full of gratitude. Come and meet with us. Touch our hearts, our lives. Let us begin to experience the fullness of what a relationship with you is all about. Let us begin to experience the fullness of life in the kingdom. The peace, the reconciliation, all that goes with it. Bring peace to our hearts, peace to our nation, peace to our world. By the blood of Jesus. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I want to give you a blessing from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We love you all. Miss you all. Can't wait until we can meet again. Have a great week. Let's go out and make a difference and let's have one more song of worshiping together.